When is the last time you got really angry? Some of you guys might be like, right now. <laughs> I'm super mad. When's the last time you got really angry, like seeing red, angry, like I'm going to regret the next thing that I say or do, angry? When's the last time that's happened for you? I think a lot of us sometimes get angry about stupid things. I mean, the common preacher joke is getting cut off in traffic. We get angry about that, right? Some of us get angry when we show up to the farmer's market and Yoder's Donuts decided not to come that day. And they ruined everything. The weekend's over. My kids, uh, every day, all day, get angry when their sister gets the purple cup, and they wanted the purple cup, and they have the orange cup. And there's water in both cups. There's ice in both cups, same water, same ice, but they wanted the purple cup. And they get really angry. And, and so sometimes we get angry about things that even almost immediately as we're, as we're being angry and, and, and responding in that way, we realize that it's, it's, um, it's a little ridiculous. We can take a step back from situation and say, okay, being angry and acting that way in that moment wasn't really helpful um, or wise. But some things are worth getting angry about. Some things are worth getting angry about. Last year, uh, the Me Too kind of broke into, broke through the mainstream media, and we began to hear story after story of, of sexual harassment and sexual abuse taking place in Hollywood, taking place in in Washington, taking place in workplaces all over the country, all over the world. And as we saw these stories, at least for me, I began to realize how prevalent this really is. And I became angry. Some things are worth getting angry about. And this past weekend, Harvey Weinstein was arrested. At the same time that Me Too was kind of breaking out in social media and the mainstream media, around the same time that was happening, another movement was happening as well, and it was called Church Two. And it was basically the same stories that were happening in Hollywood are happening in churches. have been happening in churches for, for years, for decades. Stories of abuse and misogyny and harassment. And when women uh, brought these things up to, pe- to people in power, they were often dismissed. They were often told to stay in the situation, to forgive, to move on. They were ignored, quieted. And this made me very angry, too. I grew up in the South, and, and the stories I heard just seemed all too believable in the cultures I grew up in, in the church cultures I grew up in, and it just made me furious. And it reminded me of a time when I was a teenager, um, and I found out that something terrible was happening to my girlfriend at the time. I found out that her stepfather was sexually abusing her. When I found this out, I remember being just filled with rage and anger, and I stormed to their house. And I confronted uh, the parents, and I told the mom, hoping that the mom um, would take her daughter and run and get out. When I brought my case to the house, what I found out was that the mom already knew about it. And she began to justify and dismiss and, and push it aside and use a lot of religious language. She said things like, we have to learn to forgive him. God's working on him. We have to have patience. We have to have grace. And in that moment, I knew that that was complete bull, that this was just a justification of, of something else, that this was just re- using religious language to cover up and to, to continue perpetrating sin and abuse. It was an abuse of grace because while the focus sometimes in the church two movement and in the story can be on, well, God's forgiven this person. Well, great. I'm glad God's forgiven the perpetrator. But this isn't about that. This is about healing. This is about uh, safety. This is about going to to justice, for accountability, 
for consequences. And in this moment, uh, this isn't enough for me. This, this excuse isn't sitting well with me. And what breaks my heart the most about situations like this is that the church is called to be a safe place. It's meant to be a harbor for the broken, to find healing, to find wholeness. Many churches are literally called sanctuaries. And in the places where people are supposed to go to find healing, they're finding further wounding. And that is really infuriating. And it's unacceptable. And I want to say before I go even further, I realize that in this story, I'm not the victim here. My girlfriend at the time, she is the victim. That's her story. That's her hurt. That's her pain. I can only share what I felt and what I learned around that situation. But I would just say that some things are worth getting angry about. John Chrysostom has a quote. He's a old church father. He has a quote. He says, He who is not angry when he has cause to be sins, for unreasonable patience is the hotbed of many vices. He who is not angry when he has cause to be sins, for unreasonable patience is the hotbed of many vices. There are some things that are worth being angry about. And I grew up in the South. I was taught that you shouldn't be angry, that being angry is a sin, and that you should be nice, that you should be kind, that you should be kind. I was taught that anger is a sin, but really, as you think about it, it's kind of ludicrous because anger is just an emotion. It's something that you feel, and something you can't control what you feel all the time, and therefore, anger itself is not a sin. Now, what you do with that anger might be a sin, but anger itself is not a sin. In fact, the Bible implies and expects all of us to get angry from time to time. Paul says it like this in Ephesians chapter 4. He says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Paul expects you to be angry. Paul expects us to be angry. And he says, but in your anger, do not sin. Anger is not a sin, but sometimes your actions can be. And do not let the sun go down on your anger. I love the second part of that because I have a tendency to let the sun go down on my anger in hopes I'll forget about it. Paul says here, no, you're going to be angry. Don't sin in your anger, but also learn how to use it, how to process it, how to let go of it, how to heal from it. You have to learn how to work through it in a holy way. So be angry. Don't sin. And don't let the sun go down your anger. James says it like this. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So once again, he's not saying don't be angry. James doesn't say don't get angry. He says be slow to anger. First, listen. First, seek to understand. Sometimes the more you understand, the angrier you get, right? Sometimes the more you listen, the angrier you get. He says, be slow to anger, because the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. I think it's an interesting phrase here. He says, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And I just say, well, what about the anger of God? What about the things that God gets angry about and wants us to get angry about? I think there's a distinction here between things that, that make us angry in, in our sin or in our pride and the things that make us angry because they are infuriating, because they're unjust, because there's sin in our world and there's brokenness. We should be angry at times. So what about the anger of God? How can you tell the difference? Now Solomon says this in Proverbs 19. He says, uh, good sense makes one slow to anger and is the glory, it is his glory to overlook an offense. So sometimes in situations, in relationships, and in conversations, 
we need to learn to just let go of our anger. We need to learn how to overlook that and just move on from it because it's not going to be helpful to pursue it. But how do we know the difference between what's the anger of man and what's the anger of God? How do we know when to overlook an offense and how do we know when to pursue justice, when to assert ourselves? I have a few really quick hitters before we move into the text, but here's just some ideas. First off, I would just say, when you're angry, take a step back and say, is this consistent with my values? Is this thing that I'm angry about consistent about the things that I value uh, as a follower of Jesus, as I look at the character and nature and virtue of God? Is this issue that's making me angry because it's in conflict with those values, because it's something that's attacking the sense of justice and peace? Is your anger about a disappointment in a relationship, and is your anger going to lead you to repair or restore the relationship? We can talk about Me Too and church, too, and those are really big things that can seem overwhelming, um, but anger also plays out in smaller ways, too, in conversations with, with people you care about. Um, and when my wife and I get in arguments, we get angry with each other, it's so easy to try to just win the argument, to be right, to hedge our position, but that's an un- unwise use of that anger. Anger should be used to seek understanding and reconciliation and in pursuit, like our anger should be used to grow our relationship and our understanding of each other. Something here is not right. There's a disappointment. There's a missed expectation. We're angry about it. What's this about? It takes a lot of work to learn how to work through our anger. But anger should be fuel for, for justice, for change, for creation. So is this anger about restoring or repairing a relationship? That's a good thing. Is it in your best interest to act on your anger? For example, if you're really mad at your boss, it may not be the best idea to just scream at them because you may lose your job. You may have to learn to control your anger that way and channel it in, con- in constructive ways. So is it in your best interest or the best interest of the people around you? And I truly encourage you, as you get angry, to learn how to take a step back and to think about it. Just take a step back, take a deep breath. And for me, whenever there's issues of anger that I need to let go of, I found deadlifts and squats to be very helpful for letting go of that anger. <laughs> for you, it might be long walks. For you, it might be taking a baseball bat to a tree, whatever it is. <laughs> There's other ways to, to channel that anger if you need to let go of it, if you just need to move, move on from it. And seek the counsel of trusted friends. That would be another way. How do we discern if anger is righteous or selfish, if we use that language? Take a step back and talk with some friends that you trust and say, is this something worth pursuing? And seek trusted friends, the counsel of that. So everyone gets angry. That's just a common human experience. We all have experienced anger. And some things are worth getting angry about it. And that can be a challenge sometimes to figure out if it's worth getting angry about. But the question that we have for this morning is, if it is worth getting angry about, then what do we do with our anger? What does righteous anger look at? Now, last week we started a series um, called Movers and Shakers, looking at the life of Moses. And this, this morning we're going to continue the story of Moses, but we're going to see a few examples of how Moses encounters injustice and how he responds to his anger, what he does with it, and what we can learn from it. So let's jump into the text real quick. In Exodus uh, chapter 2, 11 and 20, it says this. One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, Why do you strike your companion? He answered, Who made you a prince and judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, Surely the thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. 
The shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock. When they came home to their father rule, he said, how is it that you have come home so soon today? They said, an Egyptian delivered us out of the hands of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock. He said to his daughters, then where is he? Why have you left this man? Call him that he may eat bread. So last week we mentioned that Moses was born into oppression and slavery. He was a Hebrew boy. He grew up to be a Hebrew man, but he grew up under the Egyptian household. So year after year, Moses began to see the way that his people, the the Israelites, were being mistreated while he benefited from, from it himself. I can't imagine the toll that that might take on a person psychologically to see that their wealth and their comfort is coming at the expense of the suffering of their people. Now, after a certain point of time, Moses, as he understood what was happening, it says he grew up and he saw the suffering. Uh, Something in him broke. Something in him snapped. And the Bible says that he looked around to see if anyone was watching, meaning he knew that what he was about to do was wrong. And Moses, in his anger in that moment, struck an Egyptian and killed him. In this first story that we have of Moses with his anger, it comes out destructively. He may be well-intended. He's pursuing justice, but it comes out destructively. And a lot of times, I think for us, our anger can come out destructively. Now, we may not literally murder someone. and um, In fact, that's probably the case for Moses. We haven't literally killed someone in our life. But our anger can come out in other destructive ways. Sometimes a lot of us just try to stuff it down or deny that anger, deny that we're even angry to begin with. And, and so we, we run away from that feeling by overeating or overspending or just completely checking out or drinking a lot or just being very irritable all the time and withdrawn. So we, we just stuff it down or deny it. And I would say that if we stuff down our anger, it's impossible for us to actually receive and pursue healing and forgiveness. When we stuff it deep down, we can't heal and forgive. We may think, oh, I've forgiven that person, but there's this wound that's deep down because we just stuffed it down and didn't feel the feelings. We didn't process it in a constructive and healthy way. We just stuffed it down. And some of us in this room may have years and years of anger that's just been stuffed down, that's playing itself out in some self-destructive ways. Now, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, when he talks about anger, he says, do not have anger towards someone because it's like murdering them. Now, the word that Jesus used for anger in the Sermon on the Mount, what it really implies is not the feeling of anger, not the emotion of anger, because everyone has that. What he's talking about there is when you hold on to it, when you harbor deep resentment. And Jesus says that when you harbor deep resentment in your heart, it's, it's just like you murdered someone in your soul. And you're murdering yourself and you're poisoning yourself. It's toxic for you. So some of us... When, our destructive way of expressing or dealing with anger is just to stuff it down and to deny it's even there. But that short circuits growth and forgiveness. Some of us uh, tend to be passive-aggressive, meaning we, we never attack the problem directly, but we attack it in sideways ways. We, we gossip, we slander, we make comments on the side, we're sarcastic, uh, we criticize people not to their face, but around people. We, we erode someone's character and reputation around them. It comes out in passive-aggressive ways. That's another unhealthy and destructive way of, of handling our anger. And then some of us are just full-on direct aggressive. <laughs> we see a problem, we get angry, and we charge in completely, and we handle it with our words. And while we may not hurt somebody physically, maybe we do, we may not hurt somebody physically, we may wound them and, and crush them with our words. And all of these paths of anger are destructive. And when Moses sought out destructive, uses, uh, destruct, a destructive expression of his anger, it didn't come out well. When we use our anger destructively, it is only harmful. One of my favorite thinkers is Marcus Aurelius. 
And he says this. He says, to harm is to do yourself harm. To do an injustice is to do yourself an injustice. It degrades you. And so when something happens to us and, and we feel like we've been wounded, when we turn around and wound the other person, we're only re-wounding ourselves. I love this idea from the Stoics that when we do harm to someone else, we harm ourselves. It actually degrades our character and degrades our soul. So when our anger comes out destructively, we aren't just hurting the person that we're targeting, we're also hurting ourselves. Thomas Aquinas says it like this, anger becomes a sin if through the fierceness of his anger, a man falls away from the love of God and his neighbor. Anger becomes a sin if through the fierceness of his anger, a man falls away from the love of God and his neighbor. When anger comes out destructively, it's harmful to everyone. Another person's sin is no excuse for your own. And when we look at the life of Moses in this story, his anger coming out destructively didn't help the situation at all. It didn't help anyone. Uh, once he killed this Egyptian, the Egyptians still had control over the Israelites. It didn't change the power dynamic there. In fact, it might have just made it worse. For the Israelites, once they find out that this guy was murdered, they, the, the Egyptians might be harsher on the Israelites. So he didn't make the situation better for them. He maybe only made it worse. Second, he didn't make the situation better for himself. He had to run away and flee Egypt, so he lost all power and influence and privilege that he had. He could no longer speak from a position um, within the kingdom of Egypt because he had to run for his life. And lastly, he actually lost influence with the people he was trying to help. The next story, he comes up and he tries to interrupt an, an argument between two Israelites, and they say, who do you think you are to have any authority over us? Who do you think you are? To, who made you prince or judge over us? Are you just going to kill us like you killed the other person? His credibility, his influence, his leadership was shot when he used his anger destructively. Even though he was trying to help these people, he actually hurt them and lost the ability to influence. When anger comes out destructively, it not only hurts the target of our anger, it hurts ourselves and it hurts the people around us. Like going back to my story, I remember when I found out about my girlfriend just being furious, blind, rage. I wanted to kill the guy. That would not have helped. It wouldn't have helped any of us. And even in my anger, I went and I charged in. I didn't consult the girlfriend. I didn't have all the information. I didn't know that the mom already knew. I didn't have all this. But I just charged in blindly with anger and came in hot. And I didn't help at all. I might have made the situation worse. I definitely ruined any influence that I might have. It was not helpful. Have you ever tried to make a situation better only to make it worse? Thankfully, that's not the end of Moses' story. It's not the end of my story. And if, if you have done something similar where you've, in your anger, acted and lashed out directly but only made it worse, I just encourage you this morning, it's not the end of your story either. I was talking with a friend of mine, Amber Vernon, about this story, and she just started sharing her thoughts, and I'm like, this is so good. I'm just going to share this uh, word for word because it's so good. I want you to hear what Amber has to say about the story. She says, sometimes our convictions about what is right and wrong and our passions to help those who are hurting have led me to quickly get involved without taking the time to fully understand the issue or situation or even my place in it. There have been painful moments when I've done or said something that actually made the situation worse and for me, two things happen. First, I get defensive. I'll say stuff like, I was just trying to help, or, or I could have done nothing, or they should be grateful that I tried. 
And second, I feel shame, which is really what the defensiveness covers up at first. I feel ashamed that I wasn't good enough, I wasn't wise enough, I wasn't strong enough, etc., to make the difference that I wanted to make. And on top of it, I made it worse. That shame has led me to want to throw my hands up and walk away from the hard situations that don't have easy solutions. I think to myself, if someone else can do it, I'm staying out of it. That's what stands out to me in these stories. Moses' failure in the past didn't prevent him from re-engaging. He saw what didn't work and it propelled him to try something different. This is so inspiring to me that I mess up all the time. There are times I step in the mess and I want to go hide under a rock. It takes courage and faith in the redemptive power of relationships to come out of hiding and stay engaged when there is injustice. It is so much easier to flee. But we can't flee from injustice. It is tied up in the fall. Injustice is everywhere. And since we can't escape it, we're called to respond. We'll mess up and we'll have opportunities to keep working to get it right. What do we do with righteous anger? When it comes out destructively, it's not righteous anymore. What we see in the story in Exodus is that Moses has a heart for justice. Three times in the story he has a heart for justice, but he's learning along the way how to actually go about pursuing it. I want to reread the last part of the story and see what we can learn from it. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and he stayed in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters. And they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. The shepherds came and drove them away. But Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock. One thing as I was talking to Amber that jumped out to me in the story is that Moses said, I'm done with it. I'm out. I'm not going to be around injustice anymore. I'm running to the wilderness. And the first thing that he finds in the wilderness is more injustice. I don't know if you've ever felt that way. They're like, I'm, just, I'm walking away from this situation. I'm out. And as soon as you walk out, like you know, a few weeks later, another situation pops up because this world is broken. We can't escape the brokenness of this world because it's just a part of, of its nature. It's a part of the fall. So Moses runs from one injustice and ends up stumbling into another, but this time he decides to act differently. The text says that he stands up. So rather than fleeing and running away, he stands up. The text then says that he he casts them out. Now Moses doesn't murder the other shepherds. He, he casts them out. He pushes them out. So sometimes I'm never going to be necessarily an advocate for murder. But sometimes justice and pursuing justice means taking the person that's causing the harm and removing them from the position to keep causing harm. Sometimes justice means taking a person out of a situation so they can't cause further harm. Absolutely. Justice is about seeking uh, the alleviation of suffering. Justice is about seeking the peace of God in all aspects of life. So Moses stands up, he casts them out, and says that he rescued them. What's interesting about the story, a side note about the story, is they go back and tell their father, and they don't even know his name. Moses never did this to make a name for himself. He just saw a problem, and he sought to bring alleviation to suffering by standing up and, and helping rescue uh, these, these afflicted female shepherds. He just sought to help them out. That was it. Not the destruction uh, of someone else and not the uh, building up of his own name. Just the rescue and the help to help the afflicted, to help the suffering. They went back and said, an Egyptian helped us, which wasn't even true, right? He was, he was not even Egyptian. And the text says several times there that Moses rescued them. And the word that he uses there for rescued is the Hebrew word yasha, which we get yeshua, Jesus. 
And the word yasha just means um, to pursue the freedom of someone. I'm going to read, read the definition here so I get it right. To create freedom and to remove distress. So when it says that Moses rescued them, Moses created freedom and he removed distress. And this is what righteous anger calls us to do, to pursue yasha, to, to create freedom and to remove pain and distress, to help people find rest, to help them find peace, and to help them flourish. So when our anger is righteous, we are pursuing these things, rest, peace, flourishing, restoration, freedom. The word yasha here is the word and the image idea used in Psalm 23, and Psalm 23 says it like this, that God brings me to the quiet waters, that God brings me to the greener pastures, and he restores my soul because he is a good shepherd. This is yasha. This is rescue. This is flourishing. This is freedom. And our anger should lead us to pursue this in the lives of the people who are suffering. Flourishing, peace, nourishment. God is my shepherd. I shall not want. He causes me to rest, to lie down, to flourish. He restores my soul. This is what righteous anger leads to, this type of peace. Jesus got angry a lot. I think this idea that we should never get angry is ridiculous because the text clearly says that Jesus got angry. There's a story in Mark chapter 3 where the religious leaders are trying to catch Jesus doing something good on the Sabbath. They're trying to catch him doing something good on a holy day and trap him with that. And Jesus looks in the room and he sees the suffering of, of the broken people in the room. He sees that their hearts, that these religious leaders are just trying to use that as a trap. And the Bible says that Jesus became angry with the religious leaders. But he doesn't lash out with them. He doesn't shoot them with lightning bolts. He doesn't do any of that. In his anger, it says, Jesus turned to the crippled man with the withered hand, and he said, be healed. The man's hand is healed. So Jesus, in his anger, channeled that anger as energy towards healing and restoration. There's another famous story in, in the Gospels where Jesus gets angry. It's the story of him cleaning out the temple. And, and there's a verse that's quoted there that says, zeal for my father's house has consumed me. Meaning, I am furious at what's happening here and how the sanctuary of God that's meant to be a safe place and a place of redemption and healing and worship, this place has been turned into a den of thieves and people are ripping off the poor. And it said Jesus was furious. Zeal consumed him. And once again, he didn't shoot everybody with lightning bolts. He didn't destroy the enemy in the story. He cast them out. He pushed them out. He cleaned out the temple and restored it to its original purpose. So Jesus often got angry. But in his anger, he did not sin. He used anger as energy to bring about yasha, to bring about freedom and healing. And for all of us, we're going to be angry at times. We're going to get angry. It's just the nature of being in relationship with other people, the nature of the world, the nature of reading the news. And some things are worth getting angry about. The question is, what do you do with that anger? And I would close and just say, the test of whether or not your anger is righteous is the impact that it has on other people. The test for whether or not your anger is righteous is the impact that it has on people, including yourself. So ask yourself, is this about justice or is this about vengeance? 
Is this about love or is this about destruction and fury? So what is making you angry right now? How can you use that anger as fuel and energy for positive change? How can you help alleviate suffering and bring about peace, the peace of God here on earth? Let's pray. God, we thank you for this morning and the ability to come to your text and and see the growth of Moses and how initially his anger was destructive but eventually became powerful and righteous and brought about justice. And I pray that whatever situation we may be thinking about this morning, that we can think, how can we use our anger as fuel for healing and justice? What does it look like to do that? How can we help alleviate suffering and bring about peace? Jesus was the great peacemaker, and I pray that you give us a a passion and a clarity on how to do that in our lives as well. Amen. Every week at Area 10, we take a moment to pause, to remember, and to reflect what God has done for us through the cross. And so we celebrate in this simple meal of wine and bread that has been celebrated by believers for thousands of years, ever since the Last Supper when Jesus was with his disciples the night before he died. And it was a symbol of this new promise that God had for us. He said, no longer is it going to be about your perfection, about you striving to do everything right to earn this relationship with God. We're going to get rid of that. And now it's about Christ leveraging his perfection on our behalf so that we could have a restored relationship with God. And so it is really, the cross is this ultimate picture of God's righteous anger towards sin. It was what compelled God to do something on our behalf because he was so angry at the destructive power of sin in our lives and in our relationships and in all creation. And so he was compelled to send his Christ on the cross to die on our behalf so that sin would have no more power in our lives and in this world and that we could be restored ultimately in our relationship with God. And that is what we want to celebrate today. So we invite anyone to come to this table and to celebrate this moment, this meal. And I just ask that as you come down to just reflect on that anger that you may need to pray that God just brings healing, the kind of anger that you need to just let go. But also pray about the kind of anger that God might be using to compel you to bring healing, to bring restoration into this world. And just ask for him to give you the wisdom and the power to do that. So we just invite everyone to stand up. And you can go to the end of your aisle towards the left. And we have three tables in the front here. And you can come down row by row. You can tear off a piece of bread or take a piece of gluten-free cracker and then dip it in the cup and just use this time to reflect and to pray and to remember what God has done for you and just how much God loves you. And if you don't want to participate in that, that is totally fine too. You can just use this time to reflect or join the band as they lead us in our last worship song.